Welcome to Birkbeck Voices, the monthly podcast about the latest news and research from Birkbeck, University of London. I'm Guy Collander. In this programme, we're marking a big birthday as the Department of Politics turns 40. We'll hear about how the department has been celebrating and how it has evolved since 1972. We'll also hear about a major new research project investigating the links between Down syndrome, learning disabilities and dementia. Let's begin with the Department of Politics. I'm joined by Dr Alex Colas from the department to find out more. Alex, how did the department celebrate its 40th birthday last month? Well, I hope with style. Um, We had a a whole week of events based around a 40th anniversary roundtable, which involved some of our current and former colleagues and indeed students. Um, Deborah Mabbitt, uh, who's currently head of department, had um, an inaugural lecture for professorship um, contrasting the current government to that of the early 1980s, the Thatcher uh, Conservative governments. And we had a whole range of other uh, smaller events, I suppose, uh, involving aspects of what we teach at the the department, uh, dealing with the European Union, dealing with humanitarianism and a whole host of other, other issues. And a series of short videos explaining different political concepts um, was also released to mark the occasion. And I should explain, so there were eight videos uh, and each video uh, explained one of the letters in politics. So you you had to deal with L. That's right. And there was some debate as to what we should use. And in the end, I got Labour movement, I think partly because we're so close to the Trade Union Congress. And I spoke a bit about the tensions between Labour as a, an institutional concept, including a political party that has, say, representation in, in Parliament, uh, and the movement side of things, which is much more, um, I suppose, uh, ill-defined and um, often treacherous, uh, and looking at the, the connections between the institutional and the social forms of, of labour. And all those videos available on Birkbeck's YouTube channel. You also chaired a session about humanitarianism as part of the celebrations. How is modern humanitarianism becoming more intertwined with politics? Well, I think the the main thing to say is that um, humanitarianism has historically been associated to non-governmentalism. And, of course, nowadays, being non-governmental doesn't mean being non-political. In fact, um, if one understands politics fundamentally as being about power, um, large NGOs, large humanitarian agencies, relief agencies are thoroughly political. They have a lot of power. And that manifests itself in in two ways. One is power in relation to established uh, authorities, most notably governments, uh, but also power through markets. I mean, uh, these are big spenders. They um, they have uh, large budgets. These organisations, and they, when they go on the ground, they can have a, a big impact for, both for uh, for good and, and ill. So, in that roundtable, we tried to look at at those different aspects of modern humanitarianism, 21st century humanitarianism, and how they're compromised or have to work with uh, both governments and markets. And quite often following political trends. So, for example, the political focus on Afghanistan, lots of humanitarian organisations are working there. That's where a lot of the money is at the moment. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's been um, tensions within the uh, these organisations themselves. Of course, they're very varied, uh, ideologically even, uh, contributions towards war efforts, for instance, or post-war reconstruction, uh, as I was saying, are, are imbued with power relations, and that has generated some degree of controversy both within and outside uh, these various humanitarian agencies. And now to touch on history briefly, how has the Department of Politics 
grown and evolved since 1972? Well, for a start, it's certainly grown. Um, it was uh, a handful of people that set it up uh, in 1972. And now we have close to 20 full-time members of, of faculty. I think they're very diverse in, in all senses, um, but particularly I would say diverse in, in what, what we teach. The department has always had a focus on the connection between politics and society, uh, between politics and sociology. And that's now reflected in the interest that cut across both different parts of the world. We've got specialists on the United States, on Russia, on emerging economies, on Africa, on the Middle East, but also in the kinds of themes uh, that we engage with from questions to do with gender, a lot of uh, specialism on gender equality and, and inequality uh, through to questions of ethnicity and nationalism and indeed what, what I teach, which is uh, international relations, international security. And that curricula has changed as well a lot over the last 40 years. Um, what, what have we seen in terms of international relations? What are the major events from the start of the department to now? OK, well, I, I guess predictably uh, it would be the end of the Cold War and then 9-11 from an international perspective. Um, really, the, the international relations side of things in the department really didn't get going until, until the 90s, until the end of the Cold War. And I think much of the concern, say, of, of uh, Paul Hurst, who, who looked at uh, in his book on uh, war and power in the 21st century, looked at the persistence of state and, and the state forms, say, like standing armies or uh, questions of relating to uh, nuclear weapons and their staying power in a context of the end of bipolarity. Um, so that's that's been one of the um, anchor points. Uh, the course I teach on international security is also built around this tension between, um, if you like, more mainstream understandings of international security dealing with states or war between states and the theme that emerged in the 1990s of global governance, the attempt to reconcile um, tensions between states and indeed regulate uh, relations across states as well. So that's been that's been present in terms of uh, international affairs. The other thing, of course, is, is was 9/11 and the impact of counterterrorism of the war on terror made us all have to think more about all kinds of key concepts uh, like law, uh, like war itself, like governance. And what next for the Department of Politics? Well, who knows, uh, wherever our research and our, our students in, indeed take us, I think that there's, um, there's been a strengthening of the emphasis on the international in, in, in various ways, uh, and hopefully we'll continue and, and deepen that. Um, but there's also a real um, focus through the centre on the study of British uh, public life on, on this, these islands. Um, we've got a great deal of expertise. Uh, we've had... Uh, various events through that centre and um, I think there's the um, proverbial um, combination of, of, of the local and the global. Dr Alex Colas, Senior Lecturer in International Relations, thank you very much. Thank you. And now we move to exciting developments in the School of Science. £2.5 million has just been awarded to a project involving Birkbeck academics to research the links between Down syndrome, learning disabilities and dementia. I'm joined by psychologist Professor Annette Karmloff-Smith from Birkbeck Centre for Brain and Cognitive Development to find out more about the new London Down Syndrome Consortium. Annette, could you please begin by telling us the aim of the research? Yes, so the major thing we want to do is to try and find out what are the risk factors and what are the protective factors for 
dementia for Alzheimer's disease. So we're going to look at this at the genetic level, cellular level, neural level, cognitive level and behavioural level. And what we hope to do is separate out our participants into those most likely to get dementia um, in later age and those who are likely not to, who have some protective factors. And we're going to really explore that in great depth. And so it's a real interdisciplinary approach. Absolutely. My colleagues are geneticists, cell biologists, people who do mouse models of uh, disease, uh, clinical psychologists, psychiatrists, etc. It's a, a group, really an interdisciplinary group. And we're going to approach this in a very interdisciplinary way. It isn't just people sort of juxtapose one next to the other. We're actually going to really interact a great deal in our planning and in our running of the research. And what do we currently know about the links between Down syndrome and dementia? Why are you focusing on this group? Down syndrome is a particularly interesting group. So in Alzheimer's disease in their normal population, um, in old age, people get plaques and tangles in their brains, and this leads to um, Alzheimer's disease in many cases. The um, gene that looks as if it's responsible for the plaques and tangles in the, in the brain of people with Alzheimer's is actually on chromosome 21. And people with Down syndrome have three copies of chromosome 21, meaning that that gene is overexpressed. So we already know that there's a contribution to dementia as a risk factor in, Downs, in every Downs person because of the trisomy. 100% of people with Down syndrome have changes in their brain that lead to the plaques and tangles that are typical of Alzheimer's. But only 50% go on to develop the clinical symptoms. So 50% must have some other protective factors that stop them getting the clinical symptoms, loss of memory and so forth, and 50% go on. And the exciting thing is, because we know this, we can go right back to infancy we can start asking questions, are there signs really early in development that much, much later in development somebody is going to get Alzheimer's disease or not because of the constricted population of Down syndrome individuals who all get the typical brain changes of Alzheimer's disease. And how is it envisaged that this research can then be used? Can it be used to apply to the general population? Oh, we hope so, yes. So... Um, if, and I certainly um, hope we do, we find signs very early, then we would have means of actually anticipating who in the general population might also get um, Alzheimer's disease. So, I mean, it's very, very exciting. I'm a developmentalist, so I always want to go back to the developmental roots. But in my career, I never thought I would study something like Alzheimer's, which you think of as something for older people. How could you look at that in infancy? Well, we really have an exciting way of approaching this now. And this can now be looked at, whereas in previous generations it wouldn't have been possible because Down syndrome, people with Down syndrome wouldn't have been li living as long. That, that's true. So um, in the past, people with Down syndrome had a very short uh, lifespan, 30, 35. Now they're living to 60, 65. We even have a 75-year-old. So, you know, the lifespan is much longer. They're much healthier, obviously. But we also have this very, very interesting group who are all going to have the brain changes. But 50% of them, roughly, will not go on to get dementia, and we want to know why. And if you can identify those protective factors, you can hopefully find out how to spread that within the general population, yes. whether that's so by drugs the, the or The outcome treatment. would be therapy of some kind, um, either 
gene therapy or um, pharmacological therapy or um, behavioral therapy very early on. That's what we like to do, get in really early before the symptoms develop. And what will be Birkbeck's contribution to the research? Well, hugely, (laughs) because I'm the person responsible for the infant studies. So um, we are going to bring the developmental dimension to it. We're also going to be interacting a great deal with our colleagues who make mouse models of Down syndrome and dementia because we want to bring their, their behavioral tests much closer to our tests. So our infant tests, they're nonverbal, so they can really be adapted. And so we'll be sitting around trying to find as close as possible links between the two. And what research will you be undertaking? Well, we'll be looking at infant memory, infant attention, various other um, cognitive tasks. We'll be looking at neuromarkers, so we're using high-density ERP, and we'll be looking at various markers of memory, attention, and so forth in the brain. And and what does ERP mean to the (laughs) non-scientists amongst us? (laughs) Event-related potential. So it's like a, a sort of big cap that you put on, a hairnet that you put on the head, and there are 128 little tiny sensors, or 64, depending on the size of the head. And they measure the electrical activity that comes out of the brain when the child is looking at something, attending, and so forth. And we'll be able to measure that and see whether there are differences there already. We'll also look at sleep, because sleep has been related to early signs of dementia. So we'll try and see whether that's relevant very early on. And we'll be looking at behavior, mother-child interaction, all sorts of environmental uh, factors as well. And you're asking for volunteers to come to Birkbeck, families with Down syndrome, children? Yes, so um, we'd like um, mothers and fathers or caregivers to contact us if they have a baby with Down syndrome between, well, it can be between three months and 48 months, roughly. The children will give hair samples, just little follicles of hair, which will go to the cell biologist, and mouth swabs will go to the uh, geneticist. And so we'll look at a whole spectrum of measures in this very early um, stage of development. And how can people get involved? They can write to me at downsyndrome at bbk, for Birkbeck, dot ac dot uk, um, and I'll reply. So Down syndrome, all one word with just one S, Down syndrome. So which institutions are involved in the consortium alongside Birkbeck? Well, we've got... Um, the uh, University College London's Institute of Neurology, where they do the mouse models, the Blizzard Institute at Queen Mary, the University of London and the National Institute for Medical Research. So that is where the geneticists, cell biologists, the clinical psychiatrist is and um, the people working on genetics. And who is funding the research? The Wellcome Trust. Um, it's a strategic grant. So they have these strategic grants which where they're taking a risk. We don't know if we'll pull this off. We certainly think we will and we hope we will. And they, we convinced them that the risk was worth taking and they funded it. So we're very, very happy. Marvellous. Wonderful funder. I should just end by saying that this is some of the most exciting research I have ever done. Because who would have thought that you could study infants to look at something that normally happens in old age? And I think we're going to pull it off. Professor Annette Carmelo-Smith from the Department of Psychological Sciences within Birkbeck School of Science. Thank you very much for sharing your insights and good luck with your research. Thank you very much. And that brings us to the end of this podcast, the last for 2012. Season's greetings to all our listeners and Happy New Year. For more information about Birkbeck's news, research and courses, visit www.bbk.ac.uk.
www.thebeatdoc.uk. 